Hello and welcome back to the Serve to Perform podcast. I am your host, Delaney Osborne, and we are joined with two very special guests today. We have Jacob Arnold and Leo McKnight, both team members here with Serve to Perform. Today, we are going to be talking about white privilege from a white male's perspective. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. Jacob, if you want to start by just introducing yourself, um, telling us a little bit about yourself, where you've come from, um, just so we can get to know you a little bit better. And then Leo, you can kind of follow suit and do the same thing. Jacob Arnold, I'm 31 years old, born in Arkansas, moved all over the Southeast. I'm privileged to have a great family. Um, grew up in Fayetteville, went to the U of A. I got my degree in marketing management, moved to Texas, uh, worked there for a few years and ultimately wanted to come back to Northwest Arkansas. I've bounced around from jobs in like business development for startups and small businesses. And then I joined the nonprofit industry and the proverbial light bulb kind of went off for me. I realized that service based work was really um, energizing and refreshing and something that I want to do for the rest of my career. Okay, so um, I'm from Philadelphia and I was born right in the city of Philadelphia and spent the early part of my life there uh, before moving out to the Philly suburbs and grew up in a town called Abington. But um, I am, my, my mom was a first generation American and her parents came from Italy and immigrated to the US in the early 1900s. That's my grandparents. And they always lived with us as well. So I grew up in a uh, kind of multi-generational and pretty new to America kind of family in terms of first generation with my mom. So that's a little bit about how I grew up. As I remember my youth and growing up, it was really all about sports and um, initially baseball and then, and then basketball. And so that took up a lot of my time. As I think back, that's what I remember. I don't even remember school too much, but I still remember all, all the sports stuff that we did growing up and have good memories of that. Perfect, fellas. Thank you guys so much. Um, let's go ahead and dive right into the questions that we have. So how would you guys define diversity? Wow. So yeah, <laughs> diversity is such a broad term, you know, diversity of thought, um, veteran status, race, sexuality. I mean, there's a broad spectrum there to be covered. So um, to try and put a simple definition to it would be challenging. But I think that you, we should all like seek diversity in every opportunity, whether it's personally or professionally, you can always learn something in, in the professional world. Um, like networking in your own group is great, but the more diversity that you bring in, you're going to have different thoughts, different networks of their own to leverage. And there's just so much advantage to embracing diversity. Thank you, Jacob. Leo, if you will go ahead and define diversity as well, that would be great. So I think it's, I think of it broadly speaking, you know, and I think of it in all sorts of ways, you know, from, uh, you know, um, race, of course, gender, you know, I think that's how the typical kind of starting points. But then I just as diverse as you can from um, uh, sexual orientation, age, uh, you know, to me, it's, it's as broadly defined as, as everybody uh, is really. So it's really broad based in my mind. Thank you both so much for defining diversity for us. Um, next question. How would you guys define race or ethnicity? Jacob, you can go ahead and lead us. Beyond like what you just visualize there, um, there's cultural aspects to it all, but um, I think the most important piece of that would be to define them as human beings, that there's so much more that unites us than divides us. 
So to start there and then to identify those differences in a positive way. Thank you, Jacob, for that insight. Um, It's always really interesting to me to hear people and hear how they define race or ethnicity or even diversity like we had previously just talked about. Leo, will you go ahead and give us your definition of race or ethnicity, please? Well, you know, it's funny. I hear today a lot of talk about, you know, I'm colorblind. And I don't think there is any such thing as that. So, you know, so growing up, and I think when I think about diversity and the diverse friends I had, it was all through sports, you know, and I think playing sports is really where that's where diversity came into play. And mostly in case of race and kids from just different uh, races. But um, I grew up in an area this outside of Philadelphia that was diverse in a lot of ways even financially diverse from people that were really wealthy uh, to people that you know didn't have any money to middle middle class people uh, different religions so so it was really a diverse area to grow up in and my high school was extremely diverse that way thank you leo yeah i agree um i think there's a lot of people who have always come to say you know i'm colorblind i don't see color but i think the beautiful thing is when you can see color and you can justify that everybody is equal and that you can justify that all colors are equal. And even though I am a Caucasian woman and I'm sitting here talking to you two Caucasian men, that doesn't mean that we're better than the two Latina women who may be next door or better than the black guy who may be working next door as well. So um, diving right into the main topic, how do you guys define white privilege? Sure. So white privilege is kind of a term that's fallen victim to its own connotations. It does not mean that white lives don't face poverty. It does not mean that white lives don't struggle or that their accomplishments are unearned. It's an inherent advantage in a society that's characterized by racial injustice and inequality. A white individual today isn't responsible for creating white privilege. Um, Recognizing white privilege doesn't make you racist. Denying its existence perpetuates its lifespan. So I think it's incredibly important to identify it, to listen to you know people of color, people that are non-white, and to empathize. Thank you, Jacob, for that insight. I would agree with you 100%. Leo, would you go ahead and define white privilege as well? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. We were talking about this. When I first heard that term, I reacted pretty negatively to it. Because I'm thinking about how I grew up, and it certainly didn't feel like the word privileged would fit that. You know, so really, uh, at first, I just kind of said, what are they talking about, privilege? You know, uh, I don't feel that I was privileged at all. I grew up pretty middle class, and, uh, um, you know, we didn't have a ton of money and, and, and resources like that. And that's how I thought of privilege. But then once I started reading a little bit about it, and really what the definition is in terms of being privileged to do things that others, of particularly of color, are not as privileged. Uh, things like being able to move into any a neighborhood you wanted to, uh, join any club that you really wanted to, and, and those things uh, that, you know, again, the privilege word probably is not the best word, but that's the privilege that we have as being just white and, and uh, feeling that we can do those things without really even thinking twice about it. And I think that's really where the privilege starts. There, you start to realize, hey, I really was privileged. We moved into a great school uh, system uh, when we moved out of Philadelphia and into Abington. We were able to do that. My parents chose that school system on purpose. We were able to easily move and uh, no restrictions. 
and just growing up like that, they're the kind of barriers that we as whites don't even think about and they're privileged. Leo, I would agree. Being 100% honest with you, the first time I heard the term white privilege, I was kind of taken back because my life growing up has been less than fully privileged. But when you put in perspective what you've been through in your life and that some things that you've been through in your life, you've been blessed and privileged to just not have to suffer or to not have to worry about certain things that maybe black people or Latinos have to worry about. That's a big deal. And that in itself is what white privilege is. So have either of you ever experienced white privilege, maybe being on the beneficiary side of it, where you haven't necessarily had to struggle or where you've realized firsthand that white privilege is a thing and it is very real? Sure. So, I mean, white privilege is kind of an invisible force in a lot of instances. So as a kid, um, I'm sure I benefited from it, you know, to like paraphrase Orson Welles. My, my privileges are the silliest of accidents. You know, a lot of this is totally unearned and on accident. Um, so I think it's important to try to do like a self inventory and try to be self critical and look back at either opportunities that were given to me or my own behaviors and actions and to try and see, you know, where it's occurred. Um, but has something ever like directly been given to me as a white dude under those terms? No. Has it happened? I'm sure. So it's, it's difficult to characterize at times. And that's what like the nuance of white privilege can be really challenging. Um, but that makes it even more important to like do that self inventory and be self-critical. So if I'm thinking about like the first time that I was ever confronted with my own white privilege, it would be like dealing with police officers growing up, you know, um, if I got pulled over in my car by myself, the interactions that I had with police officers were very one way. And then if I was running around with uh, my friends of color and, you know, doing whatever else, those interactions, encounters were of a totally different type. Um, so that was one of the first times where I was like, wow, this is unfair. Um, there's nothing different about what was taking place on either hand, just the occupants in the vehicle. Um, so I was forced to kind of realize it at that point. And then, you know, just being privileged to grow up with a bunch of friends who were non-white, listening to them and hearing them tell their stories and then seeing it, you know, come to reality. Fayetteville's a really great, somewhat socially liberated town. I went to lunch with two black buddies a few years ago and the restaurant will remain unnamed. We went and got our food and went and sat on the patio and there was probably four or five tables around us and probably three or four of them occupied. As soon as we sat down, all three tables or four tables took up their food and went and sat inside and they weren't done eating. You know, they went and hung out inside and I immediately recognized it. My buddies immediately recognized it. We didn't speak to it until we were done eating and we got in the car and they asked me like, did you see what happened there? And I did, you know, that's, that's not something that I ever have to face in this town or anywhere. And these were two incredible dudes, brilliant, have so much to offer to everyone that was around them. And for them to have to experience like microaggressions like that is so sad that it still like kind of chokes me up to think about honestly. Again, you know, the word privilege is really an interesting one. I never felt that I had any kind of privilege, but you know, other, when you think back though, you know, I remember um, when my wife and I first uh, got married, 
we were in a small town. It was in New Jersey at the time, and we we joined the local swim club, and uh, just for the summer and, and to go to the pool and on weekends and stuff. And and later, my wife became a board member for that pool, and it dawned on us that everybody in that pool was white. And this was a very mixed uh, town uh, that had uh, plenty of mixed uh, uh, races and uh, and people in it. And it was really, um, she, as a board member, they were looking for new members. And uh, she was in a meeting where they were talking about, you know, members and, and kind of like reading names and saying, well, wait a minute, do we want that person? Because that name sounded like a black person. So it's things like that just then slap you in the face to say, what? wait a minute, what are we doing? And uh, so, so we, we were, again, blindly privileged to all sorts of opportunities that just were never even considered. Um, um, because we were white. Well, you know, again, it, it's, it, I think that's tough to answer consciously unless you reflect back. You know, and when I reflect back in our ability to move into uh, neighborhoods, schools, go to swimming pools, you know, all those things, you know, are advantages that I had without even realizing it and knowing that there's all sorts of barriers. The other thing I think of today when I have kids is I never, I have two sons and a daughter, but I never had to sit down with my sons and have the discussion around uh, being stopped by police and being extremely careful as you're stopped. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's again an advantage, a privilege, if you will, that I don't even have to have those kinds of conversations because it's not on my radar. But yet, if I was a, a black parent, that would be, and with two sons, I'd have to have that conversation. They're the kind of things I think of as advantaged or privileged that we don't even realize. Thank you, fellas, for that insight. I really appreciate both of those very unique and personal stories. So next question, fellas, is going to be, why do you think that white people get offended by the term white privilege? I know that this is kind of a packed question, but I want both of you to try to break it down so we can understand why white privilege has the evil connotation that it has. Yeah, the messaging is really tough around white privilege. You know, I, I hate to even use the term like it falls victim to its own connotations because that's like, you know, to be a victim of white privilege is a, kind of a ridiculous phrase for a white dude to say. Um, you know, so much of it begins with education. I think when you're touching on something that's so heavy that you really have to like take a deep breath and approach it like as casually as you can. When I have these conversations with my peers and um, it's exhausting, it can be deflating because they deflect or they you know, kind of revert back to, well, I have these challenges or this or what have you. And yes, you do. Like that is legitimately difficult. And like, I'm sorry, but you're not the only person who has these struggles. There's systemic issues in this country that have been around since before it was founded that still plague us today. And it's our responsibility to play a role. And it's not just having conversations. You know, there's a lot more that everybody needs to do, but it's really challenging. I mean, that's something that I struggle with. I get like admittedly frustrated with my peers when we go there, whether it's talking like socioeconomic or if it's talking um, like, you know, broad pictures politically or what have you. We all have, you know, a diversity of thought amongst ourselves and trying to find common ground is probably the best place to begin to empathize with them. You don't want to pander and talk to them like children, but sometimes it's helpful to like really break it down and simplify it and give examples where they're in the first person. I think white people get offended by the term because 
they think it ignores their struggles and their challenges. I mean, I know poor white people that don't have a lot of privileges, um, but I think what's lost in the conversation is that their life's not difficult because of the color of their skin. Everyone's life is difficult. It's, it's hard out here for everyone, um, but it's not harder as a result of that. Leo, what are your thoughts? I just think the term privilege, when you think about it, just sounds like you grew up, you know, with a silver spoon in your mouth. Your family was uh, plenty of money, or even even uh, uh, really wealthy. And, and, and the vast majority of people don't grow up that way. So the privilege word itself, you know, it's certainly white advantage. White, you know, is how I see it. You know, and again, I think back. I, I was born in North Philadelphia. North Philadelphia is really a bad area right now. The schools. I can't imagine somebody being born in North Philadelphia and trying to actually succeed in life. And so many people think, you know, well, I pulled myself up from my bootstraps, I was able to make it. But to think about where, how that really, what's that really mean? In our, my case, we were able to move to a suburban school district. Almost everybody in that school system went to college. If we'd have stayed in North Philadelphia, that would have been the opposite experience and we would have struggled. Uh, so I think you, you have to realize that just sometimes where you're born and where you have to grow up, you've got a couple strikes against you already. And, uh, and I, I'm amazed when I see people that are able to actually get out of some areas like that and actually be successful and, and uh, have, a, have a good life. For sure, Leo, I agree completely. I think that I had a negative reaction when I first heard the white privilege term as well, like I've stated. And so to hear that other white people have felt that same way is reassuring, but it's almost like a gut check of why did we have an evil reaction and why did we not educate ourselves from the beginning? What can we do better, though? We as white people, what can we do better? How can we do better? How can we help? And how can we eliminate white privilege from a workplace or from a classroom or from a team? How can we do better as white people? And what do we need to do better as white people? For sure. There's so much that we need to do better. And I think it begins with like empathy, listening, hearing what people say, being an ally, going to a protest, you know, participating in something that is trying to bring about change. But it doesn't stop there. You can't just post something on social media and, you know, check the box for the day. Um, I think it's something that we need to bring into every part of our lives uh, and find a way to really advocate, to get involved, whether it's a local cause, donating. Um, you know, it's, it's hard to pinpoint one specific way, but I would say, I mean, it should be something that we're conscious of every day because our non-white counterparts have to be conscious of it every single day. So it's a responsibility, if anything. If I could tell other white males what to do would be open their ears, listen to what people say, diversify your social networks, you know. Um, I feel like sports is where the great American conversation happens. And, you know, now most of my peers were 30 plus. We don't have those opportunities. So when I confront or have these conversations, I should say, um, with my buddies, it's like, well, yeah, I just don't have, you know, my friend group is all white. You know, it's challenging for me to get out there. And the answer is it's really not challenging to get out there. You know, it's open your eyes, open your ears, embrace diversity, and that you can do that in a multitude of ways. I think to be proactive and reach out to different people in different groups and, uh, and also be open to their, their experiences, their ideas. Right now, 
I mean, the country's really pretty uh, closed in terms of disagreements. People are not listening or talking. Even agreeing to disagree at times is okay, but you still have to talk and, and, and at least try to understand the other's point of view. Uh, right now, it seems pretty divided. I think the first thing to do is, is um, make sure that you know people of different, different uh, types of people, uh, different ages, different sexes, different races, because I think that alone can really break, break, break this um, down because I think so many people uh, that seem to have different issues around particularly race, they, they really aren't exposed to any. And in this society, it's hard to do that. I mean, again, when I think back, still, even still how I meet people uh, of different races in particular is through sports. Now I'm coaching uh, and helping coach junior high teams and I look at, it looks like the United Nations on our team because we have white kids, black kids, Asian kids, uh, Latino kids. I mean, it really is pretty cool, but that's the only time I think that I see people coming together. Then we all drive back to our neighborhoods that seem to be uh, separated. Uh, so I think I would encourage people to kind of proactively, I think besides sports and work, because uh, the workplace is also a, a lot of times diverse where you can reach out and meet other people and be exposed to others. That's the first step. Thank you both. Yeah, I agree. I think empathy and listening is huge. And I think understanding and choosing to learn and educate ourselves on the topic of white privilege, but also on the firsthand experiences of white privilege is something that is very, very important. The next question that I'm going to have to ask, guys, is how can Serve to Perform help this issue? What can we do? What can our coaches do to help white privilege not be an issue in the workplace? I think it's so important because the work that we do expands from frontline workers, supervisors, all the way up to executive teams. And how do you implement change? It's not a checklist. There's not, you know, uh, a quota here, but how do you bring about real diversity? And it's difficult to take that test internally and then grade your own test. You really kind of need an outside party to make sure that you're holding yourself accountable and that you're not, you know, missing part of um, the, the puzzle there. So I think we come in and really leverage those existing efforts. I believe that companies do care. I think in some instances they've been forced to care with recent events and just the way things are occurring. Um, but I do think they care. And I think it's difficult to get started. Um, I think sometimes just checking the box professionally works for some organizations, but it's time to leverage that because the value that diversity brings is beyond a social media post or you know something that you can put into the news or put into your annual report. It really does bring so much value to every aspect of your business. Thank you, Jacob. I agree. I think it's extremely important to learn and to have one-on-one -on -one situations like we have with our coaches who are able to sit down and kind of coach people through and out of the unconscious bias and out of the mindset of white privilege. Leo, what do you think? Yeah. So I think uh, Serve to Perform can help um, with a starting point. You know, we are doing uh, sessions on unconscious bias. And, and again, I think it all starts with awareness and self-awareness to get people to stop, slow down and in this hectic world where we're all running a thousand miles an hour and just self-reflect on what's really happening. And I think through those sessions, we have people that can reflect on how they grew up uh, and, and instances of bias that they've either experienced or that they were part of. 
And I think that's what we're trying to do. First step is to actually have that awareness come to be. The great part about what we do after that is then do one-on-one coaching with people to then take it even deeper to say, okay, now that we've thought about it, what can we do about it in terms of action? And take steps on things like make micro inequities where, again, we're just not even aware of what we may be doing and bring some awareness to that, uh, keep it top of mind. And a lot of times it's just little things that we're not even aware of. And that's what I think we're doing and doing it uh, quite a bit these days with our unconscious bias seminars. Fellas, thank you so much for both of your insights into this pressing topic that surrounds our culture and our society today. Do either of you have any final words? I just think as a white male, when you, again, I'll remind everyone, when I first heard that term, I was kind of taken aback by it. Uh, didn't even look into it, but just said, what, what is that? That's got to be uh, nonsense. White privilege? I'm certainly not privileged. So I think if you have that reaction, uh, first of all, I think that's fairly normal. Uh, but then take a deep breath and then look into it. Uh, read about it uh, and understand what that term really means and then self-reflect. And I think you'll find uh, uh, that if you're a white male or white in general, you do have some privileges and certainly advantages that are just taken for granted. And uh, so I, I encourage you to, to don't just shut down, uh, take a deep breath, look into it, read about it, and then move forward. Thank you, Leo. I agree 100% as well. I think having these trainings and these coachings and being able to have somebody hold you accountable is a big deal. Fellas, thank you both so much for joining us here today. And thank you so much for being open, honest, vulnerable, and upfront. White privilege is an issue. White privilege has been an issue for a while. And white privilege will continue to be an issue until we as white people choose to educate, learn, and become better. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to help with when it comes to this podcast. We're trying to be open and honest, and we're trying to have these conversations that a lot of people aren't wanting to have right now. So for two Caucasian men to be sitting here talking to a Caucasian woman about right privilege, I really feel like this could help. This could help open another conversation for somebody else. Thank you, fellas, so much for being here and talking with me about white privilege. Thank you guys who are listening, for tuning in, being open to listening to three white people talk about white privilege. And thank you for wanting to educate and learn. Thank you for tuning in to the second episode of the Surf to Perform podcast this week. We have a blog post live written by Jacob Arnold on our blog as well as a new YouTube video that is highlighting this exact interview. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for being engaged because I know you wouldn't have made it far into this podcast if you weren't paying attention. Don't forget to engage with us on all of our social media platforms this week and show us how you serve to perform in your communities. 